Hi again, it's time for another episode of the Talking Bass Podcast. Today's guest is the amazing Cody Wright. Cody is an incredible player with virtuoso chops and a great funk groove, all made possible with his great picking technique. Cody made a name for himself with the Jonathan Scales Forkestra, and you might have also seen him work alongside guitar sensation Eric Gales. As well as his super sideband work, Cody has also become an internet sensation with his great looping improvisations and computer game covers. From blues to funk and beyond, Cody is super entertaining and groovy as hell. Today also sees the introduction of a new addition to the Talking Bass team with Eleanor Riley taking the reins as interviewer. Ellen is a professional bass player and singer, and you might know her from her columns and interviews for Bass Player magazine. Ellen's also a stand-up comedian with a great bubbly personality. So please give her a warm welcome and let's get into some bass talk with the amazing Cody Wright. Hear you. Hear you. Cody Wright, put your hands together, everybody. Mark was here, eh? the Talking Bass podcast with your host, me, Ellen O'Reilly, and here I am with my very, very first guest, Mr. Cody Wright. Hello. How's it going? How are things with you, man? You're going good. How are things with you, Alan? I'm all right. I'm all right. It's 6pm on a Friday night over here in Ireland. I'm back in Ireland since the whole lockdown happened. And you're up a mountain somewhere in Colorado? Yeah, I'm up in, actually right now I'm in Fort Collins, Colorado. Yeah, it's uh, 11 a.m. here. All right, yeah, sorry to wake you up. <laughs> so how come you ended up up there? Well, about three years ago, I moved out to Colorado just for a change of my life. I had a bunch of things kind of ending and a bunch of new things beginning. And so I was kind of going towards the new things, you know, uh, sort of left my life behind in North Carolina for the time being then and came on out here and pursued a relationship and other things. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm not connected to the music scene as much out here as I was in North Carolina. So I've been doing just more of my own playing and stuff and videos and things. Yeah, actually, would this be your second solo album now, yeah? No, this is my first still. Oh, your first? Are you, so this is still a bass only a mother could love? Yeah, that was the original title. Exactly. Yeah. Right, I'm going so I'm I'm to call it Star Festival now. Star? Why? <laughs> Because I'm just, I like the name. My friend, Sean Smith, came up with that name about 10 years ago, and, and I asked him if I could use it, and he graciously let me use it, and I thought it was a really cool name. I'm just a fan of, like, the romanticized image and idea of stars and moons and stuff, like, as you'd see in cartoons and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Just like, if, say, if you watch Ren and Stimpy, and there's a scene where they're, like, zooming out of their house, and you can see the moon and stars. Like that type yeah. of stuff kind of tripped me out in a funny way. And like it's connected to musical inspiration. So that was something that I always adored. You know? All right. Cool. And like, and what can we expect on the album? Like what sort of vibe is it? Well, um, it's, it starts off, it has a lot of uh, moments of electronic drums in it. And it also has moments of acoustic drums in it. And there's only one unaccompanied piece on it where I'm just solo bass. 
but I've got, I got several different people doing the electronic drums. Uh, and I have just one guy doing the acoustic drums. And that was my friend, Chaz, Chaz Array from North Carolina, like my longtime collaborator with Jonathan Scales and stuff. We had, we had a video a while back that got into the millions of views, just us two jamming out in my friend's apartment in Chicago. What's that, what's that called on YouTube so we can check it out? I think it's called Bass and Drum Creative Grooving with Cody Wright and Chazare Shink. Class. Okay. Definitely going to check that out. I was, I was having a listening to um, the Jonathan Scales for, for Orchestra. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that was, very, uh, that was the band that I took up bass to join. Because, yeah. you know, I got told, man, you're coming along too late trying to play the style of guitar you're playing. Man, there's too many great players. Just look on YouTube. You got to do something different. People who had names in the industry were telling me things like that. And so that coincided with, I heard about this really unique band in Asheville with steel drums doing jazz fusion. If you call it that, it's like its own style of music. It's Jonathan's own type of music anyway. But it was something different, but I had to play the bass to join the band. So that's, it was grueling and crazy and really heartbreaking, really heartbreaking, but I did it. <laughs> you know, here I am a bass player. So were you, were you like in love with the guitar first really then? That was like your main. Yeah. Yeah. And I had put an extraordinary amount of time into it. And then just yeah. to just step back and feel like I was like seven years behind on an instrument. No, definitely not. You made it your own. Like, and so, and so that's the whole transition we're playing with a pick then it was. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That was, I kept that. And of course, literally everyone said, don't do it. You know, but I heard some people that were really doing it well. And I knew I already had like the technique, but uh, the groove and feel and roll of the bass was something that I did not understand. So was that, was that one when you, when you saw someone like Bobby Vega, for example? Yeah, Carlos Benevent, Bobby Vega, um, Paul Peterson. I've tried to really shed the Bobby thing in the last couple of years, honestly, um, but it's very, uh, very fun to play like that, especially on an old Fender Jazz. Mm. Um, yeah, Paul too. Paul's groove. I got to hang out with him at his studio, uh, and got and he was like doing some looper stuff with the pick. And his groove, man, is just exceptional. Um, and Carlos Benevent also just as more of a composer and kind of a free thinker on the instrument. Um, sort of like a flamenco fusion kind of thing. Um, he did an album in like the early 80s, I think it was. I think it's just a self-titled album. And there's some moments on there where he's like playing fretless and stuff. And that was like post Bobby, you know, just really opening my mind to even more pick stuff, you know. I can't do that like really hard rolling. Carlos picks like this, it's kind of, I can't like, I've always tried to figure it out and it's like crazy, you know. Before I switched to guitar, I was this one more bass player. I just was listening to um, Guy Pratt playing a, on some tunes with uh, Love him. Third Matinee. 
Yeah, Third Matinee did a song called She Dreams and there's Fretless playing on there and it's backing up the song so beautifully. And that knocked me um, off my feet the other night. <laughs> when I heard that, I was reminded of it. I'd heard it before, but the right moment happens and you hear the right tune and then it kind of gets you, you know, so his Guy Pratt's Fretless playing was very beautiful on that. He is my absolute favorite in the world. I love him to bits. <laughs> yeah, love that guy. <laughs> Yeah, and every time I meet him, I tell him, and he's like, all right, <laughs> backing away. <laughs> She's crazy. I was all right. I just, get very, I just get very excited about the old bass thing. I just wanted to mention Yamandu Costa before I forgot. He's a uh, seven-string, um, gut-string player from uh, Brazil. And um, it's just otherworldly stuff. He's He's... I first heard about him in like three years ago on a on a viral video, but since then he's got like a million viral videos, and I see all my friends sharing his stuff. Um, but yeah, Yamandu is crazy as well. Just like from a compositional and chordal perspective, he's just so fast and fluid and, and exciting. His technique is just perfect too. I, I, and also, I I was reading about um like how you got into the whole music thing. I mean, you started off by just like jamming along to games, video games, and stuff like that. Yeah, I did. Um, and that's a funny thing because everybody talks about having video game sounds and video game this and video game that. And, and you ask them what they played recently and it's like, I don't really play video games. <laughs> but I was always playing. And so I was picking up stuff from playing them. And uh, yeah, anything like Genesis kind of Genesis started it for me, Sega Genesis. Um, I had Toe Jam and Earl both the second toe jam and earl game was the one that i really uh picked up on the music on because it was a little more produced than the first game which was way more basic midi sounds and then game two they added a lot of horn arrangements john baker added uh, a lot of horn arrangements and things to it in the genesis and it was really really cool and hip and there was also a game wacky worlds which is like a kind of obscure create your own level kind of game and that had the same musicians on it as Toe Jam and Earl. And it actually had appearances by them, by Toe Jam and Earl in it. And so I, I was, that was a cool one. along with it like what were you what were you doing were you trying to do it as like a two-hand tap thing or or solo over or what what was it it depends actually um the first time i ever imitated video game music i was probably on a keyboard on a piano and it was it was probably just like booda, 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 you know <laughs> booda, booda, booda. <laughs> something like that or uh you know um but i wasn't even touching bass back then it was it was mostly keyboard and drums i'd like play tap out drums just on my chest because i didn't really have anything else and didn't want to bother anyone so were you like was your family very musical or um my dad played uh yeah, my dad was musical. He kind of, he was a banjo teacher like in the 70s, but kind of got out of it. Um, 
you know, he played banjo a lot in the 70s and in and stuff when he got out of Vietnam. And he also played guitar and flute. Still plays. But um his flute playing that was always one of my favorite things to hear because I couldn't and my dad can play harmonica too a little bit. But you know, never really professional level other than teaching banjo in the 70s locally in Florida. Um but my mom gave me my ear and sense of taste and stuff. Um, my mom was into, my dad was into bluegrass, folk, uh, blues, heavy blues. He really got me into like Stevie Ray Vaughan, which was pretty much my biggest influence for like 10 years on guitar when I was younger. Um, but my mom got me more into things like Steely Dan, Stanley Jordan, Eric Johnson, um, a little more like jazzy fusiony kind of stuff. And so she, she doesn't play, but she's like, she can earball a song and sing it to you. She can like, she can like memorize melodies and stuff from years ago and sing it all to you. So she's got like the ear and memory of that. And she showed me kind of, she would point out little moments in songs and that were like, you know, that got to you that were like emotional or something or like hit a chord. So she would she would kind of point out those moments in songs, you know. You've also got to play with a load of great heroes, like bass heroes, like Victor Wooden, his brothers, Oteil Burbridge, a few others. What? Well, well, how yeah. did that come about, and and what was it like, really? Wow, the first time I ever played with Vic, I'll never forget. Well, I was with Jonathan Scales, and it was at um, Merle Fest in Wilkesboro, North Carolina, uh, out in the country, in 2012. So that's nine years ago. And that was the last one that that both Doc Watson and Tony Rice played at. And uh, so that was a special, um, and that was also the first time I played with O'Teal actually, it was at the same festival. So at the time I was paying a hundred dollars a month to live in a literal closet in this house out in the countryside uh, right after I finished college in North Carolina. And uh, so, to, and, and I was like pretty fresh on bass. So I was just really playing catch up and I wasn't feeling super confident about it. And everyone was telling me you're no good, pretty much. Had some encouragement at the time, but not a lot. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta go through that stuff sometimes to really grow. And um, so then, yeah, we went to Merlefest and Jonathan hooked up, he was working it out to where, you know, Vic come sit in with us and it actually happened. Oh my God. And I never, I'll never forget our first song that we did. It was a tune called Jam We Did. And Vic was out sitting in the grass. I could see him sitting in the grass watching us. And man, I was nervous. <laughs> and Jonathan leans over, Jonathan leans over and says, get it together. Oh God. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, I improved and then Vic came in and um played with us and it was really surreal. And there's video of that. I have a beard and I was playing uh, a Ken Smith burner. <laughs> Thank you. 
was that like? I mean, I mean, when you know when he joined you on stage, what was that like after Jonathan shouts at you? You know, where where you all did you tighten up or were you okay? Yeah, yeah, I tightened up. It was no big deal that he that he said that. I was like, you know, I deserved it. <laughs> so <laughs> he did that, um, and yeah, I tightened up. And everything was cool, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, he came up and it was just super humbling. He was just like equal. It wasn't like you had this superstar with you. It was like one of us, like, okay, where do I, what do I do? Where do I go? Where do you want me? You know, is that the right wedge? You know, really team player, beautiful attitude. Um, we just had a blast. We traded, we got to trade fours on a, on kind of a bluegrassy kind of tune. Amazing. And, uh, yeah. Amazing. You know? Yeah. He is a lovely man. Absolutely. I interviewed him before for bass player magazine, you know, lovely guy. And and all his brothers, all his brothers were there. So you played with the brothers as well, like Reggie and the whole lot. Yeah, I have played with them at um at Third and Lindsley. Actually, played with Reggie. Uh, oh man, that was a trip. Reggie's almost as big of an influence on me as Vic, especially with tapping. Like if you if you yeah. for me when I really would dig past all the fuzz tone distortion stuff into some of the more clean tone stuff Reggie was doing. Like on base day 98, that's super inspirational to me with the arpeggiated chords, but just the way he was breaking up the chords is just different. Jonathan and, and us went to Third and Lindsley one night. I think it was in like 2013 or something. Third and Lindsley Club in Nashville. And, and I straight told Reggie, I was like, I learned some of your solo from base day 98. And he was busy, you know, and I just kind of walked to the edge of the stage and said that, you know, shook his hand and stuff. And that was before they started. But then, like a couple hours later, uh, I think they were like wrapping up or something, and I believe I had played with them and just did a blues or something. By that point, I just got off stage and I'm kind of packing up and like walking away. And then I heard I heard Reggie say, "Let me hear Bass Day '98," <laughs> like that. And I was like, "What?" So I turned around. And he has, he's like handing me his white Squire guitar, the legendary Squire. And he's like wanting to hear me play his little thing. And so I did it and, and he uh, gave me a couple little tips, you know, change it to a minor seven there instead of a, just a regular minor, you know, stuff nice. like that. And that was really special to get to play that guitar. It's like the lowest action on a guitar I've ever felt. Just because you mentioned action, my head's going this way. And I want to ask you about, like, how is your bass set up for how you play? Um, I like really low action. This is not this is not my number one. This is um, one of my five strings. I played this with Sean Wright and some other folks on Vic Firth Jams uh, a couple of years ago. I got this one, like, you know, it's manageable. A lot of people would say that's super low but it's not like my main number one Zon. It's a little beefier. So you have it like so low that it's just about, it could it could start buzzing. Not this one. My, one of my tests I do is like, I'll strum the strings and I'll pull on the head a little bit. And if it really starts to buzz quick, that means my action is like nice and low. But if you have to pull it back for it to start buzzing when you do that, then that means, you know, you got a little more relief. So this one has a little more relief on it. 
it start, it's come from playing electric guitar for 14 years before I played bass, you know, eight hours a day. And I always had my action like really as low as I could get it. I would do that same thing when I, when I was living in the country as a kid, I, I kind of taught myself how to do setups. And so I do the same thing of strumming the strings and pulling on the headstock and just, you know, you just learn the feel of each instrument is a little different, but you learn the feel of right when it starts to buzz. And to me, that was like kind of my test for my action, you know, and then making sure that it, that it doesn't fret out or anything like that. So you have to balance it. All right. And also it's a great uh, action to have for if you're doing two hand tapping or anything like that. So yeah, that's really, you know, yeah, <laughs> nice and low. Yeah, this one's not as low as my other Zahn, but it still works for tapping. Why why Zahn in particular? What is it about Zahn basses that you love? The first time I ever played one, it was just it just felt right. Like it was what I was looking for. Um, what's funny about that is the first one I ever played was an import model. Uh, Mosaic at NAM 2014. And I went there as an artist. Um, with Smith and um, I was always kind of struggling with the setups and everything before that. And I, I wanted, I really wanted a Federa, obviously, but I'm living in a closet paying a hundred dollars a month <laughs> and eating rice and beans every night. Um, so that was kind of out of the question. So I found this Ken Smith burner for like $900 on top base that I scraped to get so that was my main base for a while. And then I got lucky and found a set of Federa Lane Poor pickups and threw those in there. So then I was really happy about that for a long time. But I was always struggling, you know, I was just, it never was, it never felt like I was connecting 100%. But then like I literally went to NAMM and played an import mosaic and, it, and I had just went to the Federa booth too. And so I came back from that. And I, I went to the Zahn booth and played an import mosaic and it blew my mind. So then I was like, okay, can I, I want to try one of the actual ones, <laughs> you know? So I asked and blew my mind. And um, long story short, I immediately went home and started making inventory of what I could sell to try to save up for one. And right then there was one on top base for like 1750 or something at the time. And that ended up being my number one. But I had the only time I ever borrowed money, I had I I it was my the guy I was renting my house with at the time generously made the offer that I could, you know, I don't have to pay next month's rent, but you know, then chip in a little extra for the next two, you know. So with all that and with selling some stuff, I scraped together enough to get the the Zahn off top base, but then the guy pulled the listing. He was like, it's too nice. And that's when I really got crazy. So I, I messaged him. He was like, you know what? Yeah, I'll sell it to you. So I was like, yes. And that's how I got my first Zahn. And it came in the mail used, but it was really clean, like new. But it was perfect setup, perfect intonation, perfect action. It didn't need anything. And it was in tune when I got it, too. So I just knew then that, that was it. And Subsequently, you know, I got inspired to work more and play more and practice more and do more and, and up my production and up my stuff and sound and everything. 
And so it started, things started to just improve from there with my whole career. And Joe Zahn proved to be really awesome and nice and supportive. And uh, he received me into the fold very well. And then how did you get hooked up with TC Electronics? How did that happen? TC, well, I was walking around Nam with a bass with the Zahns just strapped on me. <laughs> and uh, I see this big crowd gathered around this guy just killing it on the bass. And I look closer and it was Uriah Duffy killing it. Huge crowd at TC. And I'm walking by with my bass on, like clapping and stuff. And all of a sudden I see him going, come here, come here. <laughs> like that. So I just went up there and we jammed. And then he just like got off the stage and it's just me all of a sudden. And wow. um, yeah, then after that, I met Morton, who was working for them at the time. And uh, we hit it off. So that's kind of how that happened. Class. And what kind of a, like, what's your rig like, your your backline? Is it Vanderclay? Well, no, no, Ampeg. Ampeg, all right. Yeah, just right before all the virus hit, I switched to Ampeg. So <laughs> I never got a chance to tour with them or anything like that. And why um, Ampeg? Oh, it's always been a dream, really. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, of the more modern sounds of uh, the other amps and things like Vanderclay and stuff. Amazing. Um, but Ampeg always, I always liked the idea of running more modern basses through a more vintagey kind of tonal thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, so that's kind of what, what it is, you know, that's what I, I always knew it'd be that way. And I recently, you know, gotten into a little more of the vintage, vintage jazz and P bass thing. So those make well together too. I yeah. do some of that stuff at home, like in the studio, you know. Yeah, it's a real rock and roll amp as well, isn't it? Ampeg, you know what I mean? Yeah, a, a lot of the big cool Hmm? It's got that cool factor, Ampeg. Yeah, yeah, totally. A lot of the big shows that I did with Eric Gales um, when I was touring with him were the back line was Ampeg almost 100% of the time, like, at places like Byron Bay Blues Festival in Australia, when we played there with like Santana and stuff, that was all Ampeg. On Joe Bonamassa's Blues Cruise, all that was Ampeg, you know, because that's just what it was, backline, you know. Yeah. What was it like with uh, Joe Bonamassa? With your blues background, did you get it was on? cool. Very cool. Yeah, very fun. Um, just everybody on that boat was was super encouraging and nice. I think I went on the boat four times. The first time was the only time that I was in a band actually when I went. All the rest of the times were the fans would have me back because they just wanted to see me. And it was unbelievably cool. And um, you got to play with people from Buddy Guy's band and got to play with Chris Kane, got to meet Chris Kane. And he was a childhood hero of mine. And, <laughs> you know, just, very, very, very special stuff. <laughs> very lucky. Yeah, it's incredible, really. I mean, you know, you're in North Carolina and you're you're not even playing bass yet, and then you get in to the orchestra and you and and you switch to bass, and then all this magic stuff just happens. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, it was all built off of of some people build that kind of thing off of different attributes. But for me, my attribute was just improving and practicing and playing. You know, some people it's it's networking and emails and connecting and you know, filling in the connecting the dots. But for me it was just like practicing and playing and practicing to a looper and working up to the point where I, the ideas developed so much that I wanted to share them. I just wanted to record them and put them out. And that's when I started doing videos and stuff. And so that coincided with, with helping. And I was inspired to play because I had a better sounding bass and better feeling bass and I could actually express myself on it, you know? So like, how would you use the looper in terms of practicing? Like, how would you build it up? There's a couple different things I would do. Um, really, I would in the early days I'd take orchestra songs. Like I remember uh, practicing. We recorded an album in 2012 or 13. Uh, it's my first time ever going into the studio with a band to do an album. Um, and but before each tracking day, if I knew I had a bass solo in one of the songs, I would just sit there and loop the progression for hours and hours and hours and just play over it uh and also something that i would do back then was just take a drone note pick a key and take a just start pedaling a note and loop that and then just experiment it's kind of like they call it massaging the notes you know just experiment with what works and what's that been like being someone who's renowned as a plaque player suddenly trying to you know get your head around finger style is it kind of like back to back to the beginning again or yeah yeah pretty it was you know i'm coming along but it's very uh it's been years now you know i've done it on a couple videos and things um the thing is is i can't is there's so much development with the pick compared to the fingers. Like I can just do so much more. It's like, why do I, why should I even try sometimes? Mm -hmm. But it's very satisfying to play finger style because it is totally different. Yeah. True. And a different sound and. Absolutely. I just yeah. got this, I have my guitar nail on my middle finger here that I use for like chicken picking on guitar. Right. But it, you know, it makes it a little lopsided on the, on the bass. Oh. <laughs> clicks you know one one clicks and the other doesn't oh yeah <laughs> yeah but you know you can work around that yeah <laughs> and what kind of plaques do you use then what kind of picks do i use yeah i have these um dunlop my signature ones and uh they're oltex um 0.88 so they're like nice. thinner than you think mm. They still, you know, they still are very durable and uh, tonally flexible, you know. Yeah. And why did you go for that triangular shape? Because um, if it's if it's one of these normal teardrop or whatever, when you're playing, it's going to move around, especially at shows and stuff. It's going to move around. So all of a sudden I'm over here and it's a whole different vibe. And I'm like, wait, why are my notes sounding different? Mm -hmm. You know, because it's because it's, it moved. But we're. we're uh, one with even corners when it moves like that you, you you're even you know you got the same corner all right and what, what kind of strings are you using then you know because a lot of times you think that if you're playing with a pick maybe you'd want to take you know a thicker gauge or 
for two hand tapping you want a lighter gauge if you've got a low action you want a lighter gauge so what kind of gauge are you going for what strings are you using you know well on um on my mains on i do use a custom gauge that's 35 to 95 um in dunlop i use dunlop strings and i also use zon strings sometimes for the special gauges as well mm -hmm. um, but really dunlop in on my all my other bases i use dunlop 40 to 100s mm. like on my uh <clears throat> my zon mosaic which is more like a jazz bass is 4100 and any of my you know older jazz bases or p bases uh, or all the jazz bases rather i use um 40 to 100. well if you had to make like a dream base i know you're probably you're just happy out with design you have but if you were going to like make your own signature model base from scratch what would you what would you go for like what would be the dream team wow we'll probably have a pj pickup set and maybe shorter scale you know possibly shorter scale just coming from the guitar thing you know i actually have one that joe's working on in his shop uh that he's had for a while which is a 32 inch uh sonus four string and it looks a lot like you know my main one but it's got a uh it's a set neck on the back instead of a bolt-on so it's it definitely you can tell and it's two j pickups two j bartolini's and you can tell the difference with the uh set neck thing kind of makes it like hum like an upright a little more but um he's, he's working on that one and i'm excited to get that one back that bass is named julia <laughs> nice why julia because it was it was made for one of michael manring's students back in 94 her name was julia rose and so it has oh. Julia Rose written on the inside back plate. Oh, nice, nice. That's cool. Um, oh yeah. Well, speaking of Michael Manring, um, have you ever jammed with him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we have a video of us doing Blackbird at the uh, Golden Gate Bass Bash a couple years ago. He's a very Zen man, you know. Yeah, huge inspiration like that. Yeah. You know, I taught I taught a week's worth of classes alongside him, like as a co-instructor at the Golden Gate Bass Bash. Nice. And uh, wow, that was special. some of your duets that you've done i know you've played with you know victor Wooten, michael mannering bobby vega i'd say as of right now my favorite thing that i've ever done especially that's been on video was the vic firth jams with steve smith you know we didn't rehearse at all um the band leader missed his he missed his flight or his flight got canceled or something so on rehearsal day so everyone was there ready for rehearsal and so we didn't rehearse so it was just individual prep and uh steve showed me a couple things on the fly that he wanted me to do like a walking line near the end and stuff and it's just i live for those moments of being on the spot i mean you only got 
there's no punch-ins, no nothing like that. Like you only got like one or two chances on those. The whole song too, and it's a really complex piece of music. But the euphoria of there's a there's a part of the song when the horns really come out. Dun, 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 dun. And that just the feeling I had when we were finally nailing that with Steve was probably my favorite musical experience I've ever had in my life. Right, well, uh, it's all, time's almost up, so I'm going to ask for a cheeky tip. What advice would you give, you know, to young bass players who, who have switched from guitar to bass and are playing with a plec and all their friends are telling them to not play with a plec? What would you say? Dial your treble down, dial your highs down, just groove, just focus on sounding like fingers. Like for me, like, try to sound like you're playing like with your thumb and index finger. Just a softer general attack as opposed to a typical really plasticky pick attack. You know, learn how to just dial the pick tone down. Um, yeah, and also, you know, develop your finger style, if only just so you can hear how it sounds in relation to the pick. So you can dial that pick sound just to be flexible. I think the thing is, a lot of people think the pick just has one sound and it doesn't. You can change so much by how you hold the most small change and how you hold whatever. Uh, and yeah, it's way deeper than even I realized. So there's so much you can explore. All right. Well, thanks very much, Cody. Thanks for all the, the tips. All right. Thank you so much. Everybody have a good day out there. <laughs>